my thoughts on dating um, run the whole gamut. I think that God has definitely changed my beliefs from when I was in high school and college to now. I think in Christian circles, we wish it was the 11th commandment. Like, here's what you're supposed to do, here's what you're not supposed to do. And unfortunately, it's not that way. And I, I wish that there was. It would make things so much easier. Or if God provided me online, that would be great too. This is one of those topics where we, we too often ask the pharisaical question of, how far is too far? Or what's the line so that we can get as close to it as we possibly can? And I mean, speaking from experience, that's something that I've done a lot of. Um, thankfully, God gives grace and teaches us in a very gentle way. But dating is a topic that I feel like we have to rely almost completely on obeying the Holy Spirit. We have to be listening. Um, it comes in such a, a still, small whisper. And if we're, if we're looking at how much fun can I have and how much energy can I get out of this relationship, then I feel like we're starting from the wrong space. Instead, we should be looking at how can we glorify God by knowing each other. It's important for Christians to rely on the Spirit because there's not, like I said before, there's not something in the Bible that says this is the way that you're supposed to act. There's some don'ts. There are a certain set of guidelines that say this is the best way to glorify God. And as believers, that's our purpose is to glorify God. So unless we follow what we're supposed to be doing, how are we going to know that unless we're looking to the Bible and to the Holy Spirit? That's good stuff. Um, Claren, I don't know where you are, but are you a news anchor? <laughs> you have, you're very poised. Um, my name is Ryan McCarthy. I'm the Life Stage 1 pastor. And uh, I don't know if you know what that means. Life Stage 1 means I'm number one. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm overseas student ministries. Life Stage 2 would make you the first loser, right? If number one, ah. Tyler is awesome. I get to work right next to him, and he's already become a dear friend, and I'm privileged to get to, to speak on an irrelevant topic, um, <laughs> talking about dating, and um, I was really, now I got to, I was the college minister for a number of years, and have gotten to address this topic. I have never given this particular talk, but dating has always been something kind of near and dear to my heart, because from ages 22 to uh, 29, I was in that, that awkward phase of dating. And I, I really, I mean, there were good moments and everything, but I look back and I don't miss, I don't miss it at all. And I mean, I'm, and the way I approach this is, what would I have wanted to hear in 30 minutes from a guest teacher you know, on this topic? I, I can only give you a few broad strokes. I'm not going to be comprehensive with anything, but I know that is, this is a challenging in relevant and real situation, no matter where you're at. And I acknowledge people are all over the place with this topic. But, you know, Clarence, I like what she said. Is like, wouldn't it have been nice if God had given, like, an 11th commandment or, and posted neon signs making it really clear what we're supposed to do? But this is one of those between black and white. I would say even it's really beyond black and white because it's not addressed clearly in Scripture. Um, it's not sort of... It's, you just don't see dating the way it exists now in Scripture. And it doesn't make it unbiblical because there's a lot of things that you don't see in Scripture that just weren't necessarily around. You, the alternatives are to be betrothed, 
You know, you want your parents to set you up. And uh, there's all sorts of things. I'm not going to go into all that. I want to talk about what basically, how to have a wise dating approach and give you a simple thing to focus on and explain why it's so important to start now. Um, but here's the, here's the facts. And I'm just going to, I don't need to build a need, but I will because dating, you know, is either going to be fun, pleasant, or hurtful, harmful, encouraging, or discouraging. And a lot of that is not in your control, but a lot of it is in your control. It depends on how you approach it. But is this, I'm asking you, I'm not telling you, is this an apt comparison? I was thinking about what it's like to date when you don't know uh, if you've met the person yet. Is it like signing up for college courses when you've used up all of your core credits and you don't know your major? You know what I mean? I don't know if you've been in that position. I, I didn't declare a major until halfway through my sophomore year. And I remember I was, I've almost used up all my core classes. And I'm thinking, should I sign up for this? I mean, what if I don't end up being a business major? That will be a waste of time and money and effort. Um, I might enjoy the class, but it also might hurt my GPA. And then I end up going to psychology, and it's a waste of time, money, and effort, and it hurt my GPA. And it's not even useful to graduating. Dating kind of feels like that. You know, maybe you'll enjoy the class, maybe you'll enjoy the date, but you could pour your blood, sweat, and tears into this relationship and end up not having moved forward at all, you know? And just this was a complete waste of time, money, effort, uh, heartbreak, all that stuff. It feels like you have an undeclared major. You don't know exactly where you're going. And then when you date and you know, you know, maybe it, it becomes kind of just scary. Um, okay, so... Last thing, marriage lurks in the background. I guess the difference between this comparison is you don't take many college classes with the risk of maybe, uh, you know, having your heart broken or having a baby, you know. Um, uh, the, the, the analogy breaks down. Do you have... <laughs> I miss you, David. Um, do you have a wise dating strategy or are you just hoping that things eventually work out? Do you have a wise dating strategy, or are you just hoping that things eventually work out? I look back, I hoped things would eventually work out. I had a little bit of a strategy. This is what I learned after the oh, what, seven years of, of aimless dating. I, I thought I knew who I wanted to marry before that, and fortunately got my heart broken, and it was good. Didn't meet my wife until 29. Proposed her on my 30th birthday. Um... Anyway, I learned, looking back on the people that I dated, that there were three essential ingredients that I needed, and each person before I met Brandy, one of those three things were missing. This is extracurricular. I'm... <laughs> Friendship, attraction, spiritual compatibility were the three main broad strokes. You also need to be going similar directions in life. If one of you wants to be a missionary in India and you are insist on having a business in Fort Worth, it, you know, there's things like wisdom. But everybody I dated, one of those things was missing. Or maybe I remember in one case, I thought all three were there and I got dumped. But, um, you know, I dated the girl who was like, you know, she's beautiful and she's godly, but I was bored with her, you know? I mean, just didn't enjoy the time. I think that's good. Break up. You, you, that's, I think that's pretty essential. Then I remember there's uh, uh, a girl that, great friends, godly. And, you know, I, 
attractive, but I wasn't attracted to her. But I tried to make it work idealistically out of that hope that maybe things would come, or you know, maybe the attraction would surface. And um, it, it just, the longer I went, the more nervous I got about the fact that I might break her heart, and I ended up having just breaking up early because I knew that you can't force that. You should be having a hard time keeping your hands off this person. You should have a hard time. You should be attracted. Then the worst one was when I was, I, I, I enjoyed this girl, she was attractive, but she just spiritually was dragging me down. It, it, she was not walking with the Lord in the way, I mean, she was a Christian, but that was the really bad news. And then I met Brandy, and the three things, it sort of felt like the stars aligned. But that right there, that's about as much of a strategy I learned in retrospect, and it was through error. Now, the question is, do you have a wise dating strategy, or are you just hoping things eventually work out? And I want to um, make a comparison is the wise dating strategy comes from knowing what it is that you're looking for. Here's a comparison. There's two ways to shop. One way is like you go into, I don't know where you would go, I say the mall, and you know you need a new pair of like running shoes. You know what size you want, you know what brand, you know what color, all that stuff, you know what store it's in. You go into the mall, you make a beeline for that shoe store, and then you go and find the shoes, you try them on, you pay, and you leave. That's one way to shop. Here's the other way. You got time, you got money, you're bored, and you're just going to walk around. Look at stuff. Okay. That approach, I mean, you know, what's window shopping, you know. There's a time and place for everything. But when you walk into some place like that, you're prey to any marketing techniques that are thrown your direction. And you're going to see some, like, you know, sweater on a mannequin, and I think that right there is, that will complete me. <laughs> and the more expensive the item, the more aggressive the marketing strategy. You know, if you walk into a car, a, a lot, you know, to buy a car, you're going to get a pretty, I mean, aggressive salesman, probably. Or, you know, everybody get it, the timeshare pitch. It's the, the, you're going to get heavy pushes the bigger the, the, the price, you know? And you might, if you walk in aimlessly to a, a place like a mall, you might walk out with something you didn't need, like a shake weight or, you know, a tux. <laughs> if, if you don't know what you're looking for, you are prey to whatever marketing techniques are out there, right? And when it comes to dating, if you don't know what you're looking for, you are prey to some of the greatest marketing strategists out there called men um, or women, depending on what you're looking for. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to stop there. You are, here's even the, there's even a greater marketing force, and it's called hormones, the fear of being alone, and just this general like beauty and charm. And, and that's why this, this is the first point or first slide is Proverbs 31 30 says, I don't have a clicker, so I'm, I'm counting on you, Douglas. Um, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Charm and beauty. Now, this is being written to, uh, Proverbs is addressed to my son. It's largely talking to men, but you can, you can substitute charm is deceitful, beauty, studliness is vain or fleeting, and a man, you know, a, but a man who fears the Lord will be praised. I mean, it applies. It's pitting chemistry, charm and beauty against character. But charm and beauty are powerful forces 
that when you're not looking, you're going to encounter those things. But the point of that is saying is that a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. That's character, and it trumps chemistry every time. Character trumps chemistry. And that's what to be looking for in dating is, chem, is character. Now, you don't get like immediately impressed in a dating sense by character, but it's the thing that lasts, and it's actually it's the, it's a true charm. It's a, it's a true beauty. So, I would say charm is deceitful. Uh, charm is uh, deceitful, and beauty is vain. And chemistry is both. Chemistry is misleading, but a person who loves the Lord has character is to be praised, is to be pursued with attraction, with the friendship, with the other elements. I'm not discounting those things. One other thing, though. When you rely on chemistry, you fall prey to this, the right person myth. I stole this from Andy Stanley, by the way. I heard him say this. The right person myth is this, that when I meet the right person, everything will be all right. When I marry the right person, everything will be all right. And you're, I remember ages 23 to 29, just in the back of my mind, I would kind of like, you know, get dressed with that possibility that I might make eye contact with that girl, the right one, you know? And it's, that's the moment of salvation. You know, just a little bit in my heart, like, wouldn't have said it that way, but something in there is, oh, maybe. And I mean, and I'm going to remember this day because, you know, in, in 80 years, we're going to look back and it was, you know, January 12th, whatever. And that you meet the right person, everything's going to be all right from then on. And what that does is it leaves you looking for what? Chemistry. It leaves you kind of searching for chemistry and, and you know, wanting that and craving that. And that's the thing that, that ends up actually just kind of leaving you chasing the wrong thing. But you have to train your eyes to look for character. So character trumps chemistry. And so uh, where do you see the character that you're supposed to be looking for? Anywhere in Scripture, you're going to see profiles of the character to be looking at. But if I were to look at what type of person should you be looking for, is by the way the same type of person you should be seeking to become. But if you're to sum up the source of character, I would maybe go to the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. If, if a person loves the Lord and loves their neighbor and, and, and as themselves in that way, that's a person to, be, to seek. What is, but what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. <laughs> I couldn't help that. Um, <laughs> what, is, what is love? That's unpacked in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, Verses 4 through 7. I want to use this as a character checklist and just to kind of like evaluate what is it that you're looking for. And not only is this the person that you're looking for, but is this, is this you? Because are you the type of person that the person you would want to be, you know, you'd be attracted to, you'd be looking for? Would they be looking for you? So you don't just evaluate others. You're, you're looking for this character in yourself as well. Love, a person of true character is loving and love is patient. Patience is a character that you want to pursue and look for in dating, but it's also a character that you want to develop until you date, until you marry, while you're dating. It's a character. Love is patient. Patience is it looks like this. You don't pressure the other person. It creates as much space, time, and margin as 
somebody else needs because you're patient, you're trusting God's timing, you're not having to force things, you're not getting, uh, you're not trying to push things along. If someone's not patient with you, uh, that's not going to change when you get married. That person's lack of patience will follow you into marriage. It's very real. Patience doesn't suddenly appear as a virtue because you vow to be patient. Love is kind. Another way to say it is good-natured. Another word really is it's, it's, love is considerate. A kindness, a considerate person always thinks about how the other person thinks and feels how that person is doing. They're considerate of the other person. And you can spot consideration and kindness pretty quickly in a person. Now, in dating, you always get the best foot forward. But eventually, it's going to come out. Is this person considerate? And are you considerate? Love doesn't envy or boast. Uh, this is comparison, like comparisonitis. It's not a word, but we'll use it. It's the disease of living in comparison all the time. Envying is, I'll never be like that person. I don't like him because why does he always have, you know, he's always getting the promotions or all the, all the guys like her. I don't like her. Um, you know, envying is being resentful of another person's blessings. Or it's feeling good about another person coming down a notch, you know? Envy works both ways. Being happy about somebody else's unhappiness or unhappy about their happiness. But it's comparis- comparison in which you're losing and you don't like it. Boasting is the opposite. You know, it's where you look down on people and you're like, why do, that, why do they always do that? They're, what losers? Or, you know, I would never fall for that. And you boast, you lift yourself up in comparison to other people. But living in comparison to other people is a symptom of a disease called arrogance, pride. The literal, transla- literal meaning of that is puffed up. A person who is proud or arrogant is puffed up. Puffed up in an empty way. The image of pride in the New Testament is that of uh, an, an organ painfully inflated with air. Okay, so imagine taking a bike pump and sticking it in your bladder or your liver. All right, I, I know this is weird, but it's going to be relevant. If you stick a bike pump into your liver, right, and you don't die, you just pump it full of air, all right, and then you and it all closes back up, and now you got this inflated liver. I would imagine that would hurt. I don't know if there's any doctors in the room. Maybe you can correct me later. But an inflated, puffed-up organ would be painful, and it would be useless in the sense that it's full of something that's not supposed to be full of. It's full of something that's empty. And that's a picture of pride. Another word for pride in Scripture is vain conceit, vain glory, empty glory, meaning you are full of yourself. You have no ultimate glory. God alone is glorious. You don't have the glory, but you're so full of yourself that you fill yourself up and your ego is full, painfully full, that you're always thinking about yourself. Because if you asked me, hey, Ryan, how are you doing? I'm like, Man, I'm, my left arm is doing great. What, has your left arm been hurting? No, it's always worked great. My left arm is great. You mean like, are you on drugs? No, I just, man, look at this, you know? <laughs> if my left arm is working, I forget about it. But if my left arm has a problem, I notice it. Well, if my ego is 
painfully puffed up, I'm always noticing it. But if I'm humble, I forget about myself. Humility is the ability just to forget about yourself. It's not about you. You can enjoy other people when you forget about yourself. You can actually rejoice with someone who got to, you know, to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep because it's not about you. But an arrogant person has taken selfies of themselves every three minutes because they're afraid that maybe their beauty will fade away in the two-minute interval and it won't be caught. It's, just, it's all about me. Arrogance is very apparent to everybody but the arrogant. It's, so you probably have to ask somebody, hey, am I arrogant? <laughs> um, to find out if you're arrogant. It's hard to see. But uh, that's a huge, huge character trait. Is Are they arrogant? Or conversely, are they humble? Are you humble? Um, love is not rude. It doesn't behave disgracefully, dishonorably. And this goes beyond bad manners. Or, you know, like as if you're kind, you hold the door. That, that's good. But, but behaving disgracefully, dishonorably is like... Um, not treating the person with, with the respect and honor that they deserve. Like, when you, when you don't do this, you become a part of somebody's regret story. Like, why did I date that dude? You know? Don't become part of somebody's regret story. Right? Love is not rude. It behaves honorably, gracefully. Um, love does not insist on its own way. It's not self-seeking. That speaks for itself. Love is not irritable or resentful. You know, quick-tempered, irritable. Resentful, bitter, negative. I mean, is this person that you're dating always in a dramatic conflict? Is there drama surrounding this person? Are they always angry with their roommates? It's a bad sign. It doesn't mean that this person is irredeemable, but, but it is a sign to run for the time being. I mean, if you, if you are looking for a character, that's a bad sign because... I wish there was a verse that applied to the husbands because I feel like I'm picking on the women with these. Um, but a contentious wife, it'd be better to live on the corner of a house than live with a contentious wife. Do you know the proverb that that is? It's in there. Um, <laughs> but, you know, a jerk, it'd be better to be single than be with a jerk. I mean, it, it, it's true both ways. Um, yeah, love is, this character is not resentful. Resentment being like this bitterness that's being nursed, a grudge, inability to forgive. When you're dating somebody and you have your first argument, thank God for that argument. That's your first opportunity to see the character of this person that you're dating. Because the true colors come out in an argument. And nobody's beautiful after they're married. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, i got (laughs) to qualify that. If my wife ever listens to this... Nobody's on their best performance after they're married. The ugliness, it comes out. The thing is, you're, you're ugly too when you, you know, these arguments. It goes both ways. It's everybody. You've got two sinners coming together, but when you argue, you get to see what's really going on. And does this person ever apologize? Don't wait for them to apologize. Apologize first. But like, are they... You get to see the true colors. But... Okay, yeah, are they irritable, resentful? Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. These could all be mini-sermons, obviously. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. It doesn't delight in evil, but rather it rejoices in the truth. It desires to build others up. A good character wants to see other people built up. That's why this guy can't keep his hands off of you. He's not rejoicing in the truth. He's not 
building you up. He's, that's, that's a form of using. And that, again, goes both ways. It's just typical that, you know, the, the guy just blames his hormones and, and pushes the envelope. But the thing is, that, that is a proof of character right there, and it gets transferred into marriage. It's just the, the self-control required in dating, that self-control is required in marriage as well, both in the home and outside the home. When times are rough and somebody else is catching that person's eye, they need self-control all the time. Character is being proved, and it matters. What you see today, those things don't get fixed in marriage. They get amplified. I should say that again. Character problems don't get fixed by marriage. They get amplified. Because if you've got a problem with irritability, you won't even know you're irritable until you talk to somebody else. Have you ever woken up and you didn't know you're in a bad mood until you saw your roommate? And then you're like, Get away, you know, just whatever. I, I, I don't know what to say. I just know that, I mean, in your single, you don't know how bad your irritability is. And then you marry somebody else who also struggles with irritability, and everybody struggles on some level with this, but it amplifies. It's, why are you being such a jerk? Why are you being such a jerk? And, and it just, it, all right, there we go. Loop that sound over and over. That would sound really cool. Okay, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It always protects, trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That's the, that's the type of person that you're aiming for, that you're aiming to become. And it's a snapshot of what, what to pursue in dating. Um, i got to say, though, that it's easy to think that Okay, I'm doing okay with that. Not so good on this thing, you know. And you kind of you want to grade yourself on a curve and be kind of gracious. How do you really grow in these things? I mean, if you want to be concerned with with, um, oh, go to the next slide because this is the, this is the point that I need to to make. Instead of focusing on looking for the right person, use this time to become the right person. The focus doesn't need to be on do you have all these things. You could for, almost forget about that, almost, if you really focus on becoming this type of person. Because if you're this type of person, you're not gonna, if you're humble, you're not going to be attracted romantically to an arrogant person. I promise you. If you are growing in Christ-likeness and falling in love with him, he will, he, Proverbs 37, 4, delight yourself in the, Lord, in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. He will shape your desires into a healthy direction. And if you, if you become these things too, you're more likely to attract this type of a person. But <clears throat> with, with all of this, how do, you, how do you grow like that? Is it effort? Is it like, I've got I to gotta be more disciplined with my quiet times. Let's do all these things. There, there is a place for that stuff. But ultimately, it comes from this. It comes from knowing that you're loved this way. Loving this way is built on the fact that you realize that you're loved this way. Because you can, if you don't mind going back to the slide again, you could substitute Christ's name for love in there. And that's how he loves you. Christ is patient. He's kind to you. He's patient toward you. Not you plural, he's you singular. He's, he's, it's not about 
him when he, in his pursuit for you. He loves you. He, um, he bears all things for you. He believes all things for you. He hopes all things. He endures all things. He endured the worst thing for you. He endured being forsaken by his father and experiencing hell. He, he came and lived the perfect life that you're supposed to live, died the death that you're supposed to die, and endured that, and then is pursuing you relentlessly, perfectly. And, you, and you know that last song that we sang captured it, it, that I don't trust in anything but Jesus' name. I don't trust in the sweetest frame, my, my sweet, my, the best moment of holiness. I don't trust in it because my hope comes from the fact that Christ loved me, gave up his life for me, and rose from the dead for me, and I'm in him, and I am united to him. There's nothing that could separate me. I am absolutely loved. That softens my heart, makes me realize I can't hold a grudge. When I really know that I've been forgiven of infinitely more than I'm ever called to forgive, I can start to forgive. I can start to be gracious. It softens your heart. It makes you more humble. You don't have to wonder, do I need to take care of myself when you know your Heavenly Father is really taking care of you? You don't need to boast and envy when you realize that, forget about yourself, it's about Christ. He is the one, knowing His love is the root of that character. So, back to that next slide. Focus on becoming the right person instead of focusing on looking for the right person. And the last point I want to make, though, is it's important that you start doing that today because what you do today matters tomorrow. That's my last point, is that this isn't something that marriage suddenly brings about. And I've said that a number of times here. But here's, here's how to, why I want to amplify this. When you're dating and, you, and you're in that honeymoon phase, you don't think that you'll ever really need to be patient with this sweetheart. Oh my gosh, she's wonderful. I can be kind to her. I can be patient toward her. She's not testimony. She's wonderful. And you think, yeah, sure, I'm patient toward her. And you don't, you don't, you're not really being tested. And you might find little quirks. But, oh, it's kind of adorable, you know? And she's thinking the same, you know, about the guy. And it just kind of, they're small because you're attracted to each other. Quirk, I do. Oh my gosh. A quirk, a, a, you know, a little molehill becomes a mountain when you realize, like, okay, he's kind of irritable. I know he gets kind of moody. And then he says, I do. And then you realize, I, I have to deal with that moodiness for the rest of my life. And, and he's thinking the same thing, and it all kind of amps up. And the gloves come off. Because, like, I'm not going to put up with your underwear on the floor like that. You know, like, I'm not going to put up with the way you always, you know. And it just, those little quirks get amplified. And... And it's, it's something that you have more time and opportunity to work on growing now than ever. You have more opportunity and more time to do it. But you have less motivation now than ever because you can't see how badly you need it. A, a, a spouse is like a mirror that just shows you inescapably who you are sometimes. Your roommates see more, but they're not going to open up their mouths about it. They're not married to you. They can get another roommate. (laughs) This is the time that what you do now will infinitely make marriage easier if you grow, if you invest in growing now. What you do today matters tomorrow because you think, oh, that stuff will just fade away into the past, but the past always makes its way into the present. And your future will one time, would they be your present? 
now, you're, okay? Um, you see what I'm trying to say. I got to hurry, don't I? I have no idea how long I've gone. I'm drunk, and that's why I'm just... <laughs> You got one minute, all right. Okay. These are characteristics that you want to begin, become, begin practicing today. So, um, <laughs> going back to, don't forget about the chemistry thing too, though. Because keep in mind, chemistry, you, might, you can experience chemistry with a thousand different people. It's true. You met someone on spring break and you don't remember his name, but you experienced chemistry, right? Chemistry can be experienced anywhere. Character, though, is something that, that, those are the ingredients of a strong marriage. And if you think about it, like the way Hollywood presents, it, it, chemistry, it's like lighter fluid on a fire. You know, and, and, you know, Hollywood, the sex is always great, is explosive, right? Marriage, it's like slow burning fire. It's not always like, ooh, you know, but it's beautiful. When it's built on things like trust, kindness, consideration, it, gentleness, there's something going on that it's not, it's, it, they're, they're deep, red-hot embers that it's not as sexy from a distance, but it's the stuff of substance to be pursuing today. Chemistry will happen whether you try or not. That stuff pursues you. That's the marketers. You know, that's the marketing that comes to you. The character, you have to seek it. You have to be intentional. So spend this time becoming the right person. Here's some ways to think about it. Resolve to practice like 1 Corinthians 13 type of character with every relationship that you're in, every dating relationship. See it as an opportunity to practice growing uh, in your character. By the way, men, if you do this, you'll become a hot commodity. All right, I just said that. I'm sorry. There's just a sh- there's a shortage of godly men. Women, am I right? Yes, I heard that. Learn self-control before you marry. Now, I mean, and nobody learns it perfectly, but pursue it because it doesn't. Marriage doesn't fix the self-control issues. It amplifies it. Use this time to get out of debt. It doesn't get easier to get out of debt when you're married. It gets harder. Get involved in serving. Serve in your local church. Christ Chapel, Life Stage 1. Life Stage 1. And this is why. Yeah, shameless. But you'll be serving. <laughs> and you'll, you'll, be like, you'll be like serving in the middle school ministry. And you'll be like, that guy's not in middle school. You know, and you're working alongside him. And you're like, He's Cute, not, definitely not in middle school, and he loves the Lord, and we're serving near to each other. When I was the middle school director, three years, not lying, four marriages met, volunteers met, intern met, volunteer met, married, four marriages through the middle school ministry in three years. Well, that's where you, that's where like the, that's where the, you separate the, 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 the wheat from the chaff, and, 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 Okay. <laughs> Maximize your singleness for God. Okay, that's. Uh, I, I'm going to quit. <laughs> Isn't that a great <laughs> conclusion? <laughs> I'm just going to stop. <laughs> All right.
Ask, ask God for, for the courage and resolve to, to pursue growth in this way. I mean, I understand less motivation right now than ever because it kind of feels like it's, there's just time and fun and, and it's just hard to really get serious about. But this is the time, today's the time to get serious about pursuing character and becoming the type of person that you are looking for. This is, this is it. And to, the, the beginning of that is knowing that you are loved in the way that you are called to love. I hope that's what you remember. So use this time to grow in character. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Um, thank you for the guidance we have in your word. And I know that your word doesn't speak directly to the dating issue um, probably because you're speaking to a very different culture. And, but Lord, your word speaks directly uh, to uh, the things we need to hear in the area of dating. And I pray that we take it to heart. We are suckers for chemistry, for charm, for beauty, for things that really don't last and don't matter. Um, we recognize there's a place for those things. But Lord, I pray that you would retrain our eyes to value character, to be attracted to character. But before that, would you fix our hearts on longing for that kind of character and for us to pursue you, to fall more deeply in love with you. And I pray that you do amazing work in the lives of, of these single men and women so that they have healthy marriages. And I ask these things in Jesus' name.